Welcome to Coach to Scale, how modern leaders build coaching cultures. I'm your host, Matt Benelli. Join me as we build a community of like-minded professionals who share the belief that effective coaching improves the performance of every team member. Our mission is to help leaders become better coaches. The Coach to Scale podcast is sponsored by Coachem, the world's first AI coaching execution platform that leverages evidence-based coaching to increase quota attainment. And with that, let's get started. I'm excited to have this conversation with today's guest. As you'll see, he's a true believer in investing in people. He spent his entire career in a technology B2B SaaS space and has built a reputation not only about scaling and growing businesses, but investing in people. Currently, he's serving as an operating partner at Stage 2 Capital. He's also been a go-to-market advisor to the CEO and the president for roughly the last five years. John Boucher, hello. Welcome to the show. Great. Thanks, Matt. Pleasure to be here. Really looking forward to the chat. Well, uh, lots to chat about. Uh, We go back a a long way, and um, I'm one of those people that's in the John Boucher fan club and watched you closely and from afar uh, spend a, a lot of your own personal time and energy in investing in people. And we'll talk in a little a little bit later about um, what what you've seen grow from that investment. But uh, you've been doing this a while. Let's uh, let's dig right into the first question, John. This whole podcast, Coach to Scale, we we talk about the importance of coaching. Why is the coaching of the individual so important to the success of the larger company? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a big question. I, you know, I, I guess I think about it this way that, um, yeah, I was, I spent a ton of time helping build and scale software companies. Um, they were, they were software companies before they became SaaS companies. That's how old I am. But by the, by the way, I, we talk, we talk about scaling, right? Um, if, if I remember correctly, and I meant to say this in the opening, but you're at Oracle 18, 19 years, um, yeah. in that time frame, Oracle went, rough numbers, 10 billion to 42 billion. I know you're not going to take all the credit for that, but you led a big organization. Um, and that's, you know, that's, those are some fantastic numbers. I mean, that's what we're talking about here. Yeah. It was a fortunate time to be there. Um, you know, the company today is doing amazing. Uh, I think they just hit a, an all time high with their stock actually this week, which is crazy. Um, but you know, back to the scale question. I mean, I, when you're growing at the pace we were growing, and it was crazy growth. Um, I think I started with a company that was 10,000 employees. When I left, it was 145,000 employees. So think about that kind of scale. And when you're doing that, you're bringing on all kinds of people. And it, this is people. We're, we're not, we aren't physical assets. These are, this is a people business. Selling software is people. And obviously, you got to have great products. But so in my world, it was about how do you get the most out of the individuals and the organization? And so I, felt like we tried to set the tone to first of all find the best people of course you know but then what do you do with those people how do you make them the most productive most effective people and the most competitive that we're going to win more than our fair share you know and so i just personally felt that that was super important that if we could get the most of our most out of our people um and make the right level of investment and really make sure that 
our leaders knew how important it was that a we found the right people but b that we actually invested in them and held those people accountable to get better and better and better the best you know any way that we could so i guess i felt like i would put more emphasis and more investment against that believing the return for you know helping get the most out of these people whether it was you know actual individual training sessions or making sure that you know field managers were actually making it a part of their curriculum like that that was part of their overall operating system that they really took to heart that we're going to spend a lot of money attracting talent and if we're not going to invest into them and if you're not going to be a part of this uh, around actually doing what we needed to do to make sure that we're getting the most out of them that that's a whiff on our part that's that's on us it's not on the individual that's on us so when you think about that flow right the importance of yeah. coaching and the impact that it has on an organization yeah. is that does that start in the trenches and you know and float up or does that flow down is this you know is this a culture thing that's that yeah. uh, is a is a top down flow yeah i guess i i felt like i mean i i would look at it two ways one is that i do think that the the leadership has to believe in that, you know, that has to believe in the idea that it's worth taking time out of the field to train and coach people, right? Like people are like, oh my God, we can't come out of the field. Oh my God, like we're going to take a day and we're going <laughs> right. to do an all day competitive training. Like, oh my God, we should be on the phones. Like, I got an idea. How about we take a day and we're going to be better on the phones tomorrow? How about that? Like, that's how I think about it. Like if we take a day, we're going to be way better than if we just bang the phones. How about we actually take a day and actually do the best we can to make our people better at being on the phones or being in front of customers or doing competitive, you know, intelligence where people actually understood what the competition was doing. So I was a big believer in like go slow to go fast, which meant actually training and investing, investing in training our people. So for me, that was a bit top down. Like I believed in that wholeheartedly on the flip side. I guarantee you that the individuals do want to be taught and they do want to learn and they do want to be better. They do want to be better at their craft. They may not admit it all the time, but they, you know, these are these are human beings. They want to be better than they than they were yesterday, tomorrow. It's just how that's natural. Especially if you're hiring great people. Yeah, if you're hiring great people, they want to be great. They want to be great, right? So, you know, shame on us if we're not giving them that opportunity because they're kind of thirsting for it. Sometimes they don't admit it, like I said, but generally, really great people want to be better. And so why not give them the opportunity to actually practice their craft and, and get better every day? So I think it is top down culturally, but you also have a receiving core that actually wants to be better. They, they're thirsting for their coaching. They're thirsting to get to be better than their neighbor, to be better than their competition. Well, it reminds me of this client that we had who we was reluctant. I think he was working off a employee engagement survey that said, we, you know, we want yeah. exactly what you said. We want to invest. Yeah. So he decided that he would do that, but the type of business they were in, it was high volume. Uh, high, yeah. and, and he, oh, we can't take any time off the phone. So, can't take time so, off. Yeah, so yeah, we did the training. It was, a, he shortened it from two days to a day and a half late Friday afternoon and all day Saturday. And he wondered yeah. why uh, people weren't into it. It didn't stick. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't stick. Yeah. Shocking. Yeah. Shocking. So with that said, I mean, you talked about your point of view on this. In your opinion, where do, where do companies get it wrong? Yeah. I mean, I mean, you just hit on a little bit there, but. Um, <laughs> bringing people in on, uh, bringing professionals on Saturdays, that's a starter. You know, they, they give it, they kind of give it lip service, I think is really what happens. And think about this. 
you know, you, you, you invest in, let's say we got a new product rolling out and we got to do a day and a half product training. And, you know, it's, it's a full committed. We're going to certify people. We're going to do stand and delivers. We're going to do all kinds of different things to make sure people really embrace this new product introduction that we're doing. It's a new messaging. doesn't matter. You, you get the point. It could be all those things, but we're either going to do it right or we're going to shortcut it. And I guarantee you companies get it wrong because guess what? We're behind our forecast or we're behind on headcount. We can't afford to get people out of the field or the expense, you know, CFO saying, you know, we can't afford to take people out of the field because we can't fly them in. I mean, all those things. And so then we shortcut it. Then we do, we squeeze it down to half the, the amount of time. We make it virtual and we do all these shortcuts. And the reality is we've literally just made it worse. We, we did, we took people out for a half a day. Yeah. And it was unproductive and we didn't actually get the product off the ground and, you know, we whiffed or the, the alternative is, so that's what bad companies do, bad leadership do. They cut corners and they don't make it a priority. And then they wonder why the new product doesn't actually take off the way it should. They're, you know, like, oh my God, look at what's happened. How come we're only 20% of the plan? Like, well, you didn't put the time and effort and, and investment into it. So it takes, it takes fortitude. I mean, it takes guts to actually make those calls make those investments and actually what I would say is do the right thing. Uh, it takes guts to do that. And I think sometimes companies and leaders um, choose the easy path, which is like, I can't get fired. I can't get in trouble for cutting back on investing in our people because I'm keeping them in the field or I'm you know saving the company money. Like I can't get in trouble for that. And yet I might get in trouble if I take them out of the field for a day and a half. Yeah. But you got to have the guts to do it. You know, you got to guess, and, and that's how I feel. That's the the go slow to go to go fast. Go fast, totally. Um, you've mentioned in the past. I think you touched on it earlier on in this call too. The importance of an operating system or framework. Um, yeah. What's your What's your take on that? Can yeah, you big believer. On it? Yeah, big believer. Yeah, I uh, having led a you know a fairly large team. Let's call it you know fifteen hundred people in the field. Um, in North America selling all the applications at Oracle. And, you know, when I thought about it, like the, the most important people in that organization, and I, I, forgive me for people that might be listening that were in different parts of the org, but the most important people, in my opinion, was really the field leaders, the, the actual first line managers. They were the most important people in my organization, like by a factor, not the senior VPs, you know, not the individual contributor necessarily. It was actually the frontline manager, the most important by far, by far, um, because they made it go, because they had the operating system that you just talked about. They were the ones that hiring the right people, right? They had to go find the people. They are number one, they're hiring the right people, right? And they're cultivating that team and they're training that team and they're coaching that team, number one. Number two, they were creating the individual, the culture at that team level, right? That little squad, that tribe, that, I don't, whatever you want to call it, mm -hmm. that group, that battalion, like, like that group that's led by that first line person, yeah. full stop. They set the tone. Like, are they setting a tone that you're on time? Are they setting the tone that you're prepared at every moment? Like, are they setting the tone that we do training every week? Do, do they set that tone? And if they do, and they hold people accountable. They have process like that frontline person is people, process, and then culture. Those three things, that frontline person is actually making that all happen. Now, of course, the people, the senior people up and to sort of start, start that and set that tone as well. But, you know, if you were, you know, put me in a 
dark room and put a gun to my head and said, you know, if you could choose the role that's most important that you want to make sure you get right, I would pick that that role all day. And so you talked about hiring several times, right? The importance of yeah. uh, attracting the the right people into the organization. Yeah. You yeah. talk about developing them, you know, great mm-hmm. people, great professionals want to want to grow. They want to get better. Um, yep. Where does where does that uh, how does that link to retention? Right. So mm. you hire great people, then you develop them, you coach them or you don't. What's the link? Is there a link to retention? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, there's plenty of studies out there. You've seen them that, you know, people people stay with companies, you know, more often than not because of who they work for. I mean, it's just really important. They don't say like, because I make more money here. They, that's not their answer. Right. The answer is who they work for. And the reason they say that is like either, you know, mostly because they feel like they're getting help, they're getting the help they need. They're growing as a professional. They're treated with respect. They're given opportunity. They believe in the, the trustworthiness of that individual. They believe they're being treated fairly. Like all of that comes from um, that individual leader who's helping make sure that that person's getting the most out of themselves, like that they're achieving at the highest level that they can because they're, they're, their leader, their first line manager in that case, is stretching them and pushing them and giving them the opportunity to actually be really great. And doesn't mean they're always, you know, perfect. Doesn't mean they don't fail, but they they give them a platform to actually perform at the really highest level. And you know, with that, I think that drives retention up. You know, you 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 feel good about like the individual you're working for. I have three kids. I mean, I'll just say this: I have three kids that are all uh, in in tech sales, um, all in software, all in SaaS. Um, all at three different companies. And, you know, I, I have a com- the conversation I have with them now are a lot different than when they were 14 years old, I can tell you that. And <laughs> most of the time, most of the time, it's about who they work for. It's not about the product. It's not about their commission plan. Our conversation is about who they work for and what that goes like, right? Think about that. What like, th- expand on that. Because everybody, anyone who's going to listen to this is yeah. either in that pos- in a similar position to you right now, or will, or might be right. Yeah, uh, yeah. What's what's that conversation? Yeah, yeah, it's like, like dad, dad, you know, dad. Joe's like, you know, Joe's crazy. I'm like, he's calling me at every you know hour of the night, or he's he, Joe's crazy or whatever, right? So they 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 have such a big impact. These leaders have such an impact on my kids. And I saw my son. My son. Uh, He's at he's at a he's at a, a tech company right now, and he's just transferred to a new group um, around new business. And I can already tell, I can already tell, like the the volumes up, like the expectations are higher, and that's great for my son. My son's a super competitive kid, really good athlete, and he I can just feel the energy coming out of him. Like he, I think he took the role for the challenge. Like I could tell that he was ready to move on to something new, same company, just a different org. And I can just sense the level of accountability and um, the stretch that he's putting into my son, like trying to stretch him to be better at you know his craft. And I love it because I can tell my son's energized by it. And you know what I mean? He's probably a little uncomfortable too because it's like he, you know, his old role, like he's been doing it for two years, he can kind of get it done, not a problem. Not that he's not trying, but, it, but now I can just sense like, wow, like this is like he's leaning into a different level. And that's all about that first line guy. And that first line manager is getting, in this case, your son out of his comfort zone, right? It's not comfortable, but it's better for. But him. it's one of those things you look back and you're like, 
um, I appreciate that that person that person made me better. You know, those are the types of things we look back on. Um, it's a long game, though. This whole thing, like coaching and developing people, the results don't happen overnight. And I think that's why part of what you said about you know companies like they they cut corners, and you know what you've sit you've you sit in boardrooms also, and especially those frontline managers think that. Hey, do you want me to coach or do you want me to get the deals done? And many of them firmly believe that it's coming from the board that the focus is on the deal, deal, deal. What do you say to those managers who over-index too much and focus myopically on the deal? So uh, it's a really good question. It's a pet peeve of mine, candidly, a pet peeve uh, in the sense that you know, I call them, you know, deal huggers or, you know, soccer ball, you know, you know, everybody's around the deal. Like we got tons of eyes on deals. Like that's not a problem. Everybody's worried about a deal. Like I used to have used this all the time. Like we use a, you know, a bell curve, right? You got 10 deals, four of them are slam dunks, three, four of them are absolute dog fights and two of them are dead dogs. Like they're, they're never going to happen. They're a waste of time. So what do you think the organization spends the most time on? Like 80% of the time they spend on the slam dunks. Why? Because they're fun. Everything's going well. We're in procurement. The deal's going to happen. We're, we deal hug those. We also spend time on these bad ones. The two bad ones, right? Yeah. The two bad ones. We spend time over here. You should be spending 80% of your time on the jump balls, the absolute knife fight deals. That's where you should spend time because that's competitive. Every move matters. Every resource should be a part of that. Like once it gets over to that slam dunk deal, like let them just do their thing. That's just process. That's procurement. That's all that stuff. So I would always encourage our organization to be spending time on the jump balls in that top of that middle, you know, that bell curve where you, that changes the forecast. Like if you can win, you know, four out of those five or three out of those five on a consistent basis, that changes the forecast big time and the results big time. But, but I want to go back to your question about um, where time is spent. And I would always encourage my organization, my leaders was like, how much time are you spending? The higher you go in the organization, the more time you have to spend in important versus urgent. It's a really important thing. So the lower in the organization you are, the urgent, you can't help it. You know, customer calls come in, you know, RFPs come in, like the demos are coming, like all that stuff, hiring, interviewing, that's like urgent. Like you got to do that on an urgent level. But the important stuff is like training and coaching and, development like like that's long-term game right those important things thinking about strategy and thinking about partnerships thinking about um you know long-range planning like that's important and the higher you go you're gonna spend more time in the important bucket yeah you can't be in the urgent bucket the lower in the organization you're going to be more in the urgent bucket that's totally fine but you know first line all of a sudden you got to spend 20 percent of your week in the important bucket and that is identifying candidates training your people coaching them up doing the one-on-ones doing performance reviews. A performance review is not urgent. It's just not. But you know how important that is to an individual to actually sit down for an hour with their leader yeah. who gives them feedback and writes it down, takes the time to write it down and say, look, I would expect that you should do these four things to be promoted. You should go meet the people in the other organization to build a bridge over there. You should develop a mentor over here because that's going to help you learn about professional services, um, which is different than your everyday job. Like, those kinds of conversations, those are important, not urgent, but that will absolutely drive long-term results 
by actually helping people get better and, and give them the feedback they need to actually work on things that, you know, they may be coming up short on. So, so why are these performance reviews over the years? Why does it continue to be a charade? You know, I, you know, you know the, let's say I work for you. We talk all the time, you know, not, I, you know, we're not, this didn't happen, but if I, I, you know, typical situation is I'm a rep, you're the manager, I work for you. We talk every day, but then all of a sudden, once a year, we have to go through this charade to fill out this document. And it seems awkward to everybody involved. Why? It really depends on how you execute against, you know, those, but I think if they're done well, if they're, you know, why they're awkward is because. Um, two, two reasons, in my opinion. One is because they're not giving feedback on a regular basis. So mm -hmm. if you wait a whole year and don't give feedback, guess what? That's going to be really awkward. Like if you and I don't have a chat about what you need to be working on, Matt, yep. and then a year from now we sit down and say, hey, Matt, you know, you need to be working on this, your presentation skills or your, your call volume or, you know, et cetera, your preparation, whatever. And you have, we haven't talked about that for a year. Yeah, that's going to be pretty awkward, right? And yeah. so that's one reason it's going to be, that's one reason. And the other reason honestly is that, um, I think leaders have trouble giving feedback. Yeah. They have trouble doing it. They just do. It's hard because you're my buddy. You work for me. We talk every day, but I got to give you some stuff right between the eyes. I got to let you know, like, Hey Matt, this is what you got to do. Here's your gap. And here's why you're a, you're a three out of five, you know, on, on a scale, like you're, you're doing your job. It's great, but you're not a four. And here's what you got to do to get to be a four. You know, and, and that's a hard conversation. I mean, my observation is that the feedback, you're right. It's either, um, it's only positive, like, hey, uh, you're awesome, John. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You know, and without, you know, specific, like, what, what do you think? Like, what am I doing right? How do I know what I'm doing right so I can do more of it? But then when the negative feedback finally comes out, it's oftentimes in the form of a PIP, a performance improvement plan. And it's like, it came out of left field or it's, or it's like, you know, they get you should all over, right? You should have, you should do it this. Here's the way I would do it if I was you, right? Like it's, it's delivered improperly. Like giving feedback is a, is a skill. Would you agree? Yeah, it's a hundred percent a skill. And I would say the best, best leaders, best managers. And I had, I had one early in my career. We'll talk about that maybe in a second. Um, he was crazy, but you know, he drank 12 diet Cokes before 9am. He was nuts, but, um, but I learned a ton from him. And what I would say is that, you know, the great leaders do give feedback along the way. So there is no surprise when they do the annual review or every or semi-annual review. Like there's no surprise because we've been having this conversation. So I just right. put it down on a piece of paper and you're like, yep, I remember we talked about this. Like, yep, I'm working on that. I got to do this, this, and this. I got it. Like, that's not a, that's not a bad thing. Some of my best employees, by the way, were thirsting for reviews. You and I know a gentleman, I won't say his name, but he would push me harder than I was ready to be pushed. Because he wanted to be reviewed, he wanted to get the feedback, yep. like formally, like you know. And I respected yeah. that. I, I didn't take it as a negative at all. Like I totally respected it. That he wanted feedback. He 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 believed in me. He trusted me, and he looked up to me, and he wanted feedback from me. And you know, he he deserved it. You know, he can't. He deserved it. Um, real quick on the the gentleman that I talked about. This was early on in my career, and I remember after every call. Back in the day, we, we were on field sales calls. We weren't doing this. We weren't having this kind of call. We were going to see people. And uh, I mean, after every meeting, you know, whether it was on a plane or whenever you do it, he would bang out a note like really quick, like really quick, every call. And he would just say, these are the five things, bang. 
Like, this is how we can improve. And he would say we. He wasn't always on me. It was like, we could have done this. We could have done that. This was like, like a post, yep. you know, a post-mortem, like yep. on, a, on a deal, on a, on a meeting. And he would do it consistently. And I remember the feedback. Like, most of the time, it was like, yeah, he's spot on. Like, we could have done this. We could have done that. Like, we missed this. We missed that. And he did it consistently. And that kind of really crisp, um, immediate feedback was so helpful to me that I would get better and better and better on every call because I just got, it was right in my head. I was like, he just drilled it into me after every call. I mean, we were doing, you know, five meetings a week, eight meetings a week, whatever, you know, you get, you get eight emails, you know, yeah. after every meeting, you get better. And it was consistency. Consistency. So, so in that case, all right, and, and you proactively answered it uh, in, in a way, but the question I usually ask is, hey, tell me about a time where, you know, you were the benefactor, the recipient of, really good coaching and what impact did it have? Um, so that consistency, like that, that post-mortem, what, what, you know, what's the downstream impact? What downstream impact did that have on you? Yeah. I mean, I, I just think it helped me just be, you know, be more prepared, you know, think through whatever the meeting we're going to have. Like I, I appreciate it. You know, I didn't always love it. I'll be honest. I didn't always love it. Cause I wasn't, you know, I wasn't perfect on every call for sure. Um, but I did appreciate it because I, I knew I was getting better. You know what I mean? I, and I guess I kind of, you know, whether it was even a QBR, like think about QBRs, you know, you go in, you got to get ready and prepare and, you know, you deliver, you know, you deliver your business plan, right? Like, yeah. what, what are you working on? Like, how'd you do? What are you working on? And I was a big believer in them. I, you know, I had, I had legendary QBRs, like 12 hour QBRs for four days. And I had great energy and I was fortunate that way. I had some of my DNA and, we would just grind through it. And I had full energy. My attention was there for 12 hours for my people because I felt like they put the time in. I'm going to be ready to make sure I put my time in. And I was never on my phone or never laptops on out, like nothing. It's just mm. not how I operated. And people thought I was nuts, but they knew we were doing a QBR. Like I'm paying attention and we're going to have a full dialogue. And it was, go ahead. I, you can tell you, you look like you were going to ask a question, but like, I, so in that scenario, like I learned to prepare, like I was pretty good at that. Like I worked hard to make sure I had a really solid business plan and I was very thoughtful. And again, it's like important, not urgent, like putting time into developing the right business plan to actually reflect on my business, what adjustments am I making and, you know, how am I thinking about the go forward game plan and be very crisp and very, you know, very, very clear thinking on it. And I expected that out of my people and they knew that and, I guess I learned that from some executives that I worked for. Like, you know, I was at relatively senior level. You, you, you don't walk in and do a 45-minute QBR and not have your shit together. Apologize for that. But, you know, like. Yeah. No. Yeah. Like, those are, I those, was pretty tight. I was, and I got pretty good at those it. Those were you know, career like, enders. We've, we've seen a few yeah, of those. Yeah. Yeah, they, yeah. I mean, it's just, just not how I operate. And I, and I think if you talk to people that work for me, they, they, they had the same level of uh, preparation as well. Um, you've been the benefactor of, you know, working under great leaders and, and coaches yeah. and often, I mean, yeah. that, that shapes you, right? W was there an aha moment where you said, Hey, you know what? I, I might've not been doing things the exact right way. And, you know, it kind of hit you in the face or you know, when you, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, when you look back, was there some aha yeah. moment where you, you realized that this stuff was important and you wanted to you know, form uh, your leadership style in, in a, in that way, more like that? Yeah. I, I don't know if I have, I don't know if I can go fully to an aha moment. I, I think, um, I mean, one that I always, you know, remembered 
and I tried to impart on our people, which is really difficult in, in, in a revenue generating uh, organization. And, you know, I, I, I work for an individual that I, I always remembered. Um, this is just a, uh, an interesting thing around doing the right thing. And when I say doing the right thing, it's at the moment, it's at the moment in the moment when nobody's looking, you know what I mean? Like whether it was for a customer, an employee, a peer, that you did the right thing, you made the right call. And, you know, because stuff could be done, whether it was with a customer, you could, you could cut a corner with a customer and maybe not be as forthright about whatever it was. I don't care if it was pricing or product or whatever, right? Like, look, I always know we were selling, like make no mistake, we were selling. So I'm not trying to, you know, share more than I need to or whatever, but I was always, I was taught by a few leaders in particular that we did the right thing. You make the right call, you know, whether it was a teaming agreement or a split or all these kinds of things that went on, like you do the right thing. And if you act that way, and this is really important, if you consistently make that call as a leader, somebody brings something to you, you look at both sides of it and you make the right call because it's obvious. It's obvious. And if you do that enough times, literally you do it 5, 10, 15, 20 times, guess what? They don't even bring it to you anymore because yeah. they know what you're going to say. Yeah. They know exactly what your answer is going to be. Like you're unwavering, like you're going to make the right call every time. You're going to be fair and be truthful yeah. with a customer, with employees, whatever. And I take pride in it because like I, you get less stuff coming your way because like, oh, we're going to go to Boucher. Like what's, we know he's going to say. You're going to say, no, we're not doing that. Right. Like, so don't even bother. And I learned that. I learned that from guys that I work for, gals that I work for. That, And that wasn't always the case. We know people that they don't always make the right call. We, we know them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then you, you know, that's a whole different deal. So I don't know if it's an aha moment, but it was certainly a, um, a thing that I learned and I believed in. And I think it served me well as a leader that my organization knew, like, we were going to do things the right way. And, People wanted to be a part of it, like, and they didn't want to cut a corner. They didn't want to cheat somebody. They didn't want to, you know, be untrustworthy, whatever. And you, you talk about doing the right thing, not cutting corners, like modeling, you know, mod- modeling the behavior a- as a leader. You brought up something a little earlier about in your QBRs, you weren't on your phone. You, you know, weren't doing email. What's... What are your advice uh, to to leaders, especially those coming up, who are pulled? There's the gravitational pull to the phone, to the email. Um, hey, I got to cancel our one-on-one because you know I got to go do something for the boss. Um, and you know, people are aren't, you know people are looking at you, the leader, and saying, "Wait, if if I'm here and, and you're not present, or you're always canceling the one-on-one that we have every week, like what's the message?" thoughts there yeah i can't stand it i can't stand it i just just not how i operate like yeah I, I, there are definitely people out there those one-on-ones get canceled like really like i'll give you a great example i i remember this one vividly you talked about moments i'll actually name this person because i have the utmost respect for him his name is ray lane he was a chief operating officer at oracle um like the most clear thinking most impressive executive i've ever been around full stop yep and I actually had a chance to talk to him probably six months ago uh, on the phone. And um, he would, I remember him standing in front of an organization, you know, presenting like a big kickoff. And uh, 
he was a big believer of being in the moment. Like he, he had no tolerance whatsoever for, you know, cell phones, et cetera. And like a phone went off in the front row, second row, third row, whatever, literally phone went off, you know, wasn't silenced, whatever. He, you know, it was probably 5,000 people in the room, in, in the whatever, in the, you know, whatever. Yeah. And uh, he just stopped. He said, Oh, please. You know, I'm sure it's, <laughs> I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's important, probably more important than anything I've got going on. He's the chief operating officer at Oracle. And you look three rows up and just stopped and said, please go ahead and take the call. I'm sure it's important. You know, like more important than anything I got going. And that's just like, it was such a moment like that said, like, look, if he's given up his time for an hour in front of everybody or in a meeting, whatever, like if he's given up that amount of time and not being distracted, not taking a call, not doing anything, then I'm pretty sure we should be able to do that. Right. right? Like yeah. just, part of it yeah. so yeah yeah actions yeah not words modeling yeah and yeah it is actions and you know i usually ask like how do you how do you deal with it I, I just think you just set the tone that says we're all invested here we all put a lot of time in to get ready for these whether it's a meeting or whatever like let's just be in the moment let's be present let's just be present so so john we talked a lot about you know the, the your your career and the success that you've had in, in scaling businesses growing companies mm-hmm. And you did, you know, of course, touched on the importance of the people. But mm. knowing you uh, and, and working for you uh, in your organization over the years, I also know that you take a tremendous pride in developing people and, and seeing what they go on to do. You know, we t- mm. talk about the Belichick coaching tree and the Saban coaching tree. <laughs> I think those yeah. of that worked in this space, you know, there's, there's, a, there's the John Boucher coaching tree as well. Can you just talk a little bit about what that meant, what that means to you? Yeah, I probably didn't, I probably didn't know it in the moment. I mean, I, you know, we, we, I knew we had great people. We had a great run. I still, you know, I still spent a lot of time with um, people that were part of our team. And, um, you know, these were, they were young people at the time. And, you know, we talked about having great people and that's, you don't win unless you have great people. It's just, you just, you just don't, you can have all the great process and culture and product and whatever, but guess what? If you don't have great people, you're not going to win. So, uh, we did have that. And I do think that, uh, we had a, we had a, we had a culture and a, and a, and a, and a system that created great leaders and they went on to do some amazing things that, you know, to this day, um, it's part of, you know, I'm with stage two, as you mentioned, um, it's a venture capital firm that's oriented around go-to-market um, investors. Um, we invest in all kinds of B2B SaaS companies, but our thesis is that we've got all these great investors slash operators from the go-to-market side that can help venture capital, I'm sorry, um, founders and early stage companies with their go-to-market plans. And so that's kind of our thesis, what's, what's make us different than other venture capital firms. And I invested in it five years ago as an individual and started to realize like, you know, the people they were looking to you know, bring on as investors were people that were in my group that are at these amazing companies as CROs and VPs of sales and presidents and mm-hmm. some of them CEOs. And yeah, I do take a lot of pride in that. Like I realize, like it's probably the most rewarding part of actually leading is watching people grow and succeed. Like there's nothing more rewarding, you know, than seeing them, you know, take advantage of opportunities and providing for their families and you know, growing their own careers. Like it's super fun to watch. And you know, that's been a big part of, for me, um, a rewarding, you know, part of my own career. 
I get a, I probably get four or five texts a week from people that, Hey, I'm looking to make a change or I'm looking to try to, I got two today. Like people that used to work for me, like they just, they'll ping me and ask me and I love it. I did. My wife thinks I should charge for it, but uh, it's not who I am, but, uh, no, it's not. It's not who you are, but it's it's yeah. noticed. You know, your wife notices it. Your kids notice it. They notice that people yeah. reach out to you and and yeah. appreciate you know that. And certainly, you know, that's help super helpful to to stage two. And and you know, I can, yeah. I have a bird's eye view uh, onto that. Well, how about uh, seismic? Right, you've been working with uh, with yeah. the team there at the highest level for you know almost five yeah. years. Um, yeah. What what do you love about what you're doing over there? What drew you there? Yeah, I love it. I, it's funny. It's, I, I appreciate you asking that. Um, I, I mean, I, I, I'll say I love the CEO. I think he's the most one of the more clear thinking, um, thoughtful founder CEOs uh, that I've ever been around. And I could do this for a lot of different companies, candidly, but I enjoy the space. It's sales enablement. It's like helping actually salespeople and pre-sales people be better at what they do around uh, content management and you know being on message at every interaction with a customer and. So I love that. And it's actually a really young company. It's young. It's young, like meaning it's only 12 years old, but the, the personnel, the people that are there, I mean, they're half my age, you know, all these, you know, these yeah. leaders and, and, you know, to me, they're kids, but, um, and I, I love watching, you know, the next generation of sellers, how they tackle things and, you know, the technologies they use and, you know, I'm able to help coach them up. You know, some of the things don't change, you know, I mean, I, some of the things don't change when you're working on a deal and trying to figure out who's who in the zoo and competition and value prop and all that stuff. Some of that stuff doesn't change. Some of the technologies change and how they get there. But so I enjoy that part of it. I enjoy like just watching some of the young crowd, you know, learn and tackle things. And I just try to help anywhere I can. So it's really a great opportunity for me. And um, it's, I appreciate the opportunity to be a part of it because I get to see from the executive level, what they're thinking about, how they take this business to another level and then help some of the team, um, you know, get better at what they do. All right. Um, well, listen, uh, John learned so much today and, you know, I know I could ask you these questions for hours cause I, I love talking about this stuff. Um, you know, we talked about hiring great people, the importance of having an operating system, you know, coaching, modeling the behavior. It starts with the top, being present, you know, all those things. Um, do you have any last minute advice for those leaders that are trying to figure it out? You know, maybe they don't have uh, great coaches that, you know, that you had. Uh, maybe they're trying to figure it out themselves. What advice would you give them? Yeah, I would, uh, I would definitely create a rhythm, uh, like a, a, the operating system. Like think about how you're going to, on a weekly basis, monthly basis, like what's the cadence of the business? I think it's really important like to sort of set that standard as a leader, uh, whether it's first line, second line, and remember to actually put time into the important, not the urgent. I think the urgent, and, and, and more now than ever, you talked about all the stuff that's, you know, whether it's Slack or the text or whatever, there's so much like pull to the urgent. Um, I'm just a huge believer that the best leaders find time to spend time in the important quadrant. Um, which is basically to go slow and go fast. We talked about it, like spend some time there and I guarantee you, you'll feel better about the business because you've actually taken the time to think through that rhythm of how we're going to operate, how we're going to train, how we're going to be better. And, um, you know, take the time to spend time with your people, man. I, you know, they, they're thirsting for help and, you know, spend a little time with them. Then 
they'll they'll eat it up. They'll be like sponges and they'll be better. So awesome. Um, um so so John, if people hear this and oh, you know, I you know, John Boucher's had this great impact on my career, or hey, you know, tell me a little bit they want to learn no, more about what what's going on with stage two. What's the best way to get in touch with you? Yeah, just uh, John at stage two dot capital. Um uh, it'll be great. It's John at stage two dot capital. Just send me a note. Happy to help. I'm on LinkedIn as well. Um, you'll find me out there. Uh, happy to help any way I can. All right. And we'll make sure we put that uh, in the in the show notes. So we're going to leave it right there. John, uh, thank you so much. Really enjoyed this conversation today. Matt, very much. I really enjoyed it myself. Um, I wish you the best of luck. All right. And thanks to all of you out there for listening. If you've learned something today, you laughed, you liked it. Please share it with uh, with your friends. It's Coach to Scale. And until next time, coach them if you want to keep them. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Coach to Scale, How Modern Leaders Build Coaching Cultures. For show notes and other episodes, visit us at coachem.io. That's C-O-A-C-H-E-M dot I-O. And follow us on Twitter at Coachem Now. See you all next week. Thanks for joining. And remember, coach them if you want to keep them.